Okay, testing, whoa, big voice. Okay, so Michelle asked me if I had any resolutions uh, this New Year's, and, and I said, uh, just one. I resolved to have no other resolutions <laughs> for this New Year. I think I'm gonna be able to keep this one. Uh, although there is a great temptation this time of year to, to, uh, to make resolutions, right? To, because it's, it's the New Year, you know, and we're feeling we're feeling like it's a clean slate. We've got to start all over again, and, and uh, we want to do it right. We want to live better in the new year than we did in the past year. So there's a, there's a great temptation to do that, and I think that's sort of the way it is with the, the Christmas story uh, as well. Um, the, the, uh, the, the time we celebrate Messiah's first advent uh, to, uh, to this world uh, it has a freshness to it, doesn't it? It, it has a newness to it. It has a... Has a um, a uh, feeling of, 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 of renewal, uh, and uh, th things are starting over. See, everything in the world was going as it has already gone, al al already had gone for thousands of years, and then all of a sudden there's this clash between the unseen spiritual world and the physical world, and all heaven breaks loose in the Christmas story, right? It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's, it really is an amazing story. It's filled with angelic visitations and miracle conceptions and mysterious providential historical events and an arduous journey and homelessness and, and more angelic visitations and poor shepherds and, and more angelic visitations and fulfilled ancient prophecy and uh, amazing reactions of people all around and, and strange visits from men from the East. And, and, uh, and it all converges and swirls in this ex in, around this extraordinary baby in the middle of this whole story, this, this little baby, which everyone in the story is convinced is going to change the world. It's an amazing story. Uh, it, it, is, it is no wonder we love this holiday, this holiday season. There's so much color. There's so much mystery involved in it. Uh, but it really, that's only the, 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 the top layer, we, what we see there's really sort of more things that are going on underneath the surface of this story than we, than we imagine. If you look, if you pull back the veil a little bit and look inside of what's really going on, and what you're going to see is that at, at this time that we celebrate, this first advent of, of Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, that God is making a major move in his plan to redeem the world, obviously. That, that, that at Christmas, the kingdom of this world is, is impacted by the kingdom of the world to come in amazing ways. That, the, that Christmas is the first wave of God uh, to the invasion of planet Earth with the kingdom of God. To take it over and then to rule and to reign for, uh, for a thousand years and then in the new heaven and new earth forever. And Jesus is God's shock troop in order to get that going, to get that to happen, to be, the beginning process going. The coming advent that, that is the, the, the tr of this true king means that the kingdom of God on earth has begun. An amazing thing. In, in, in Jesus, God has landed at Normandy. He's there. It, it, and now he begins to take territory for the kingdom, retaking planet earth uh, at one heart at a time. The kingdom, while the kingdom is not yet consummated, as theologians say, it is now begun. It is inaugurated. 
It has happened. The, uh, the, the king is here. Uh, and, and, he has, and he has begun his, his work. And the kingdom is here through him. Just as the Jewish prophets foretold long ago. Jesus is the fulfillment of that great prophetic tradition. He's the, he's the Jewish answer to the Jewish aspirations and expectations of a glorious Jewish kingdom with an extraordinary Jewish king. I don't make this stuff up. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 31. It says, Behold, you will become pregnant, speaking to Mary, and give birth to a son, and you shall name, uh, call his name Yeshua, Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, uh, the Lord uh, God will give him the throne of David. There it is. His, his father, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob for all eternity, and his kingdom will be without end. This is a very Jewish story here. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish prophets, and he has come to, to, us, to a, rule and reign eternally over his father David's throne, over the house of Jacob forever. That's what, that's what the scripture says. And, and the fact of this kingdom and this presence uh, and, and ultimate fulfillment is meant to transform the way we think about our lives, the way we, we go about our lives. Um, those of us who know Yeshua as our Savior, as our, as, as our Messiah, um, are citizens of that kingdom, even right now. Paul says your citizenship is in heaven. And you are citizens of that kingdom right now. You are under kingdom jurisdiction uh, in your life. You may be residents of New Jersey, uh, and that's great. And you may be citizens of the United States, and that's wonderful. But you are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's your first allegiance. And, 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 it, and God wants to rule and reign in your heart more and more and more. Today is the Feast of the Epiphany. I think it's, we have a little, little picture of it up there. Um, and... This is a, this is a, a day not, not really celebrated so much in evangelical circles. Uh, does anybody know what epiphany means? What? Louder. Manifestation means that, that this is the time, this time when the church celebrates that, that, that uh, God is making himself manifest to the world through the person of Jesus. He's, he's making himself. And there are two scriptures that are usually read on this day. It's uh, the... Um, uh, the story of, of Jesus' baptism and the, uh, the Magi, the story of the Magi. Now, they, they, both those stories are usually read on this time. Now, Yeshua makes himself known to the world th uh, through these occurrences. The story of the visit of the Magi is filled with mystery. It's all we're going to be able to cover today. Now, I, now, the question is, who were these guys? Who were the Magi? Uh, it, it's kind of mysterious. We're not really sure about them. There's all kinds of theories about them. Where do they come from? Uh, what prompted their visit? How do they know the star that they saw in the east announced the birth of Israel's Messiah? And why, why did it matter to them as magi? Now, we, honestly, we don't know a lot here, but best we can tell is that these were Persian wise men, possibly uh, from the Zoroastrian um, uh, tradition, and they would be first-class astrologers. Uh, they, they make um, counselors for the courts of the, the Gentile kings uh, of, the, of the east. They saw something in the sky through their astrology which made, which made them believe a very special king was being born amongst the Jewish people, their Messiah. Now why? Well, we don't know for sure why they thought that, but it may have been because 
they, they, had, they had the Bible with them. Remember, the Jewish people lived in that area, lived in the Persian Empire. They were part of the Babylonian and Persian Empire. There were exiles there. Uh, the exiles came back 70 years later, but many Jewish people stayed in the Persian Empire. Many Jewish people stayed in the Babylonian area. And so they would have had access to the Torah. And in the Torah, there is a prophecy in, uh, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I'll read it to you. Numbers 24, in verse 17, says, I see him, this is Balaam, by the way, this is Balaam speaking, Balaam's prophecy. I see him, yet not at this moment. I behold him, yet not in this location. For a star will come from Jacob. A scepter will arise from Israel. They may have put this prophecy together with the, the coming star in the influence of the Jewish community that, that they must have had in the, in the Persian and Babylonian empires. They put that together and they came to the place where they, they associated those things together and they came to believe that, that this was the star promised by, uh, uh, written by Moses through Balaam, Balaam's prophecy. And they were convinced so much so that they were motivated to leave uh, uh, their, their place probably in Persia and come all the way across the deserts, you know, a uh, long distance away, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles, you know, uh, uh, by, by camel, we suppose, and, and, they, and they came in to see this child. Um, has, this has uh, um, amazing, interesting implications for us as, as believers because their visit is, is transformative. Let's open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, and we'll read through verse 13 together. Now, after Yeshua was born in Bethlehem in Judea, by the way, that's important, um, and because Messiah must be born in Bethlehem, um, in the days of King Herod, that's King Herod the Great, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and, he has, and we have come to worship him. Now King Herod heard, when King Herod heard, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the ruin, ruling Kohanim, all the ruling priests and Torah scholars, he began to inquire of them where the Messiah was to be born. So they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, bring, back to, bring word back to me so that I may come and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they went their way. And behold, the star that they had seen in the east went on before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great gladness. And when they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Miriam, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening up their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child 
to kill him. So uh, we see in, in this story that, that God has sent Jesus at, at uh, this first advent to give the gift of a kingdom to mankind. Uh, and, and it's this kingdom life now that he wants us to live, and we can see some of the principles of that kingdom life in the story of the Magi visiting uh, Joseph and Mary uh, in Bethlehem. First of all, God sent, some of the, sent Jesus at Christmas time to give the gift of the kingdom because the life of love to the Lord, to the Messiah, to the Christ, that he, uh, as our king, that he wants us to live. Uh, it, it is fascinating to me that Matthew alone records the three Magi story. Uh, interesting because Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, uh, and, and he's, the, he's, sort of the, he's sort of the Jewish evangelist uh, among, the, among the, four, uh, the four Gospels. And, and yet he records this very Gentile story uh, in his Gospel. You know, while Herod the Great, the half-Jew, and all the people of Jerusalem are disturbed by, by the coming of the Magi, uh, these magi have sacrificed so much to go so long and so far to be able to be uh, and to see this child. Now, why are they so disturbed in Jerusalem? Well, they've got a king named Herod. You know, if, if there's another king, what does that mean? It means civil war, right? They, they're disturbed because they think that there's a possibility of civil war going on here. Um, so we have these Gentile astrologers. Uh, that, by the way, astrology is forbidden in Judaism. So, so the chances are these, these, some people have, have said they, they might be Jewish, uh, these guys. I don't think so, because they wouldn't be practicing astrology. Um, and uh, and these, are, these are Matthew's heroes, these, these guys. There's, and they're searching intently for Israel's true king. Gentile sinners are shown to be more hungry for the real king of Israel than the chosen Israel themselves. Chosen Israel is saying, uh-oh, there's another king. The, gen the, the Gentiles from the east are saying, where is this king? We want to worship him. Matthew is communicating to us in his gospel that something has changed. Something's going on here. There's a new move of God at foot here. There's a new criteria for a right relationship with God. It's now a matter of the heart. Now a matter of the heart. Race, ethnicity, pedigree, tribe, they all take a back seat to the, to the person, uh, the heart of the person who is worshiping, Jew or Gentile. Kingdom life begins with a seeking heart. That's the point. You've got to want the true king to rule and reign in your life if you're going to be living the kingdom life that he wants us to live. The problem is that most of us don't want to have a king in our lives. Most of us don't want to be ruled by anything else. It just feels too confining. Uh, we, want, we want to call the shots in our life. We want to be in control in our life. That's, what, that's the first sin, right? Adam and Eve, right, in, in the garden. You know, they, uh, they, they, had, they had everything. They had this, this amazing fellowship with God. They, they had this rich uh, life of worship and praise uh, and service to God and obedience to God and, and, uh, and this, this, this uh, wonderful time with him and an intimacy with him. And they gave it all up because they wanted to be like God instead of being, instead of being with God. You see, that's the key in being human. It's not being, it's not being like God. It's not being God. It's being with God. That, makes, that, that, that is such a glorious thing about being human. See, God had a, a, a relationship with his people, and, and, and we gave that up for our own control uh, in our life. He, but he is now reinstituting a right relationship with him. 
The question is, do we want it? Do we want that relationship in this new year? Well, how do I know if I want it? Well, the same way these wise men did. They, they sought out the true king in their lives. Will we drop everything to, to investigate? Will we drop everything in our lives, in the business of our lives, to search out the truth that, that God has for us in our lives? Will, will, we, will we live a life of, of seeking you know, uh, and, and uh, searching? I think Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. Jesus said that the, that the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might. Love begins with an open heart. God is looking for people who want what he has to offer, who want what he has to give. Like the Christmas card says, wise people still seek it with their lives. The Bible says in both the Old and the New Testament that those who seek God with all their heart soul, mind, and strength, those who seek him with all their heart, they will find him. I, I doubted that I went, in my search for God in my life. I, I doubted that. I always thought that it was a very noble thing to search. I always thought it was a very, uh, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it, it, it was something that a person should do, uh, but I never expected to find. I, I just thought the, the search was noble enough and that, that God was unknowable and, you know, and he was up there spinning, spinning galaxies and, and worlds and, and had, really had nothing to do with me down here. But on April 30th, 1980, God made himself known to me in my life. And my life has never been the same since. And he made himself known to those wise men in Matthew's gospel. And, as they, and they began to follow the light that God gave them, and then he gave them more light in the form of a star. And that light led them to the exact location of the king that they sought. Look at verse, verse 9. It says, After listening to the king, they went their way, and behold, the star that they had seen in the east went before them until it came to rest right over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great gladness. The, the, this leading of God was... was uh, filled their hearts to overwhelm them and filled their hearts with joy. Uh, knowing God in our search will help us and keep us going in our search. But when we actually find him, when we actually get, come into his presence, there is a sense of awe. And we see that, that, that these magi dropping to their knees and they begin to worship him. Look at verse 11. And when they came into the house, well, it's not a stable anymore, right? It's a house now. Okay, so this is much later. This is not, this is not, this is not in the stable. I know you've seen the, the, the Christmas plays where, they, where they, uh, you know, they, the, the wise men come to the stable. They didn't go to the stable. They went to a house. Uh, they, Joseph and Mary were living in Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus is probably you know, between, between one and two years old you know, uh, by this time. Uh, and so they go into the house uh, where they are. They saw the child with his mother Miriam, and they fell down and they worshipped him right there. They, uh, the word for worship here is to do homage uh, like one would do to a great king. Uh, you would bow down low before a great king. Matthew wants us, but Matthew, I think, is trying to tell us that they worshipped better than they knew, that, that there was something going on there. This, this, this king was not an ordinary king. Uh, the, king the, the kingdom life that God wants us to live in this life, uh, loving God with all our heart, soul, minds, and strength is expressed first and foremost by our worship. You're here on Sunday morning and you're worshiping God and you're doing exactly what he wants you to do. You're in the right place. 
You're paying homage to the true king. Now, we don't like kings in America. We got rid of our kings a long time ago, right? His name was George III. Yeah, we, we said goodbye to George. And uh, so we don't, we're not really big on kings. We don't really know how to pay homage uh, that well to any, any man. We don't like the idea of paying homage to a man. But what about a man who was named Emmanuel? God who is with us. You know, uh, now that makes more sense to us, doesn't it? The, the one, the, if, if, if the one that we're paying homage to is the one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who redeems us, worshiping at the feet of this one would be the exact right thing to do. In fact, it would be a profound act of sanity, wouldn't it? it, it uh, it's, if, if he is who he says, who Matthew says he is, the Emmanuel, God who was with us, then this is an incredibly sane thing to do. It makes perfect sense to do that. In fact, getting down on our knees and bowing before him and worshiping him makes us a bunch of geniuses. We would look for opportunities to honor him in our life. We would remember uh, and mark his life. We would, we, we would study his teachings. We would, we would uh, 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 draw close to him as he suffers and dies and then rises again. And of course, we would remember his coming 2,000 years ago and his coming when he comes again for us in the future. But not only that, like the Magi, we would give him the best of what we had in our lives, right? Look at verse 11 again. It says, uh, they, And when they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Miriam, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening up their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Three highly expensive gifts that they give to, to this king. Uh, again, these, such gifts require great sacrifice and, and, uh, and also speak of the worth and the value of the person receiving the gift. To live a kingdom life of love that the Messiah wants us to live means to give back to him the best of our resources. Uh, it, it means that, that, he, that since he is God with us, there is nothing that we would hold back from him because he has not held back from us in any way. That what, what, ha, what do we have that we have not yet received from God ourselves? Everything belongs to him in the end, right? We all understand that. And so giving him of the best of our time, our talents, our energy, our, our, our possessions, whatever it may be, that, that, that makes sense. Because everything's from his hand anyways. Are you smart? Well, guess who gave you those smarts? Are you good looking? Guess who gave you those good looks? Are you able to make lots of money? Guess who gave you the ability to make lots of money? Are you strong and athletic? Guess who gave you that? What do we have that we have not received from God? So therefore, we can give back to him the best that we have. And we lose nothing because it wasn't ours to begin with. It was a, it was a stewardship, a, a, a thing that God had gave to us so that we could be good stewards of, of those, those things in our life. And so we could invest them in the things of the kingdom. We honor God when we use the gifts and abilities and talents and treasures and, and time in our life to invest in the things that matter most, the things of his kingdom. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And what are we supposed to obey? Well, he says at the end of Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, you know, that teach them to obey what? All that I have commanded you. Now, we could spend here all day talking about the things that we've been commanded, but we're supposed to be holy like he's holy, 
So it's to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be, have single-minded devotion to Him, to act as agents of reconciliation, to endure suffering for His sake, to put away anger and hatred and lust and greed and lies and gossip and slander, along with every desire that, uh, for, for things that, that are not ours uh, in, in our lives. No covetousness. Kingdom living means becoming more and more like Jesus the Messiah. Loving God and becoming like God in His character. It means being kind and compassionate and forgiving and sacrificial. How are we doing? How are you doing? It's, it's, it's a lot. It's kind of overwhelming, actually, when you think about it. You know, but we can't lower we can't lower the goalposts here. You know, we have to say this is this is the standard that God's called us to in His kingdom. This is what it is. Thank God He hasn't left us as orphans. Thank God He's given us the resources that we need to live the way He wants us to live. Amen. He is. He came. Jesus came at Christmas to our world to make all of these things a possibility in our lives. Yes, He came to save us. Yes, He came to redeem us. We sing and we praise God for that all the time. But He, he didn't save us just so, just so that we could sit around and twiddle our thumbs. He saved us so that we could enter into the, the kingdom work that, that He's called us to. Everybody's been given a part in that process. And He's given us the power that we need to do this. See, so we, we see this vertical part of, this, of the kingdom work at, at work now, as, as we've been, just been talking about, but true kingdom life spills out from the, this vertical relationship we have with God into the horizontal relationships all around us. Now look at, again, look at, look at verses 11 through, through, um, through 12 again. I'm going to read, read it again. It's important. Um, uh, and, and when they had come into the house, they saw the child with his mother Miriam, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening up their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to, to Herod, they returned to their own country by another way. Verse 13. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and kill him. Okay, so the question I have is, what is a little baby going to do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? What, um, nothing. What, what, the baby can't do anything with gold. No, what are poor parents going to do with the gold and frankincense and myrrh that they got? Well, how about paying for the trip to Egypt that they're going to go? He's going to be going down. He's going to be, a, a, he's gonna be a, a, someone without papers uh, in Egypt. We don't know if he can get a job or not uh, when Joseph's down there. You know, and, and so... Amazingly, God supplies through these three kings. God's very efficient. He supplies through the, three, these three kings, these three uh, magi, magi, not kings, magi, the, the means that they will need to survive as they escape from Herod and go to Egypt. It's, it's really an amazing thing. Now, do the magi know about this? Well, while they were packing up their gear, I don't think so. While they were packing up the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they didn't know much of anything. Now, they, they, it says that, that, that God warned them in a dream at some point you know, that Herod wanted to kill the child, you know, um, but, but they, they couldn't understand the whole thing. You know, uh, it, maybe they would look back years later and say, oh, that's how God orchestrated everything in our lives. You see, God is at work. Not only does God supply us, and not, uh, do we seek him out, 
Uh, and not only does he provide us with the power that we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to live for him, he also will provide for us uh, in our lives. We don't have to fear death in our lives. We spend a lot of time fearing, don't we? We spend a lot of time worrying about you know, God's provision in our lives. Uh, it may not just be money, but other, other areas as well. And what this scripture says to us is that you don't need to worry. God is going to provide. If you have to, he'll provide miraculously for whatever it is you really need in your life. God came to us in this first advent to give us a kingdom so that we could live our lives without fear in this world. God wants us to live fearless lives. So, so what are the implications for us here? Just as the gift of the Magi to those poor peasants supplied their need for their sojourn to Egypt to escape from Herod, who was going to kill them, so with the coming of the kingdom, God will supply our needs, both physical and spiritual. God does not want his people to live in fear of want in their life. Fear is debilitating. Fear keeps us from trusting the king. Fear prompts us to make decisions about our lives contrary to the king's wills for our lives. How can we do God's will if we're worrying about all the time about meeting our own needs in our life? We're not going to be able to do anything. You all probably have stories about that in your life, right? Where, where, where you had to take a step of faith. You didn't know where, where, where your resources were going to come from. But you, but you believed God. You trust God and you took that step of faith. If we stopped here for a moment and, you, and we had just a testimony time, we'd be here for a long time. Because I know you know this. And you've experienced this in your own life. And, that, and I'm, just here to, I'm just here to remind you over and again that, that, that God is faithful, that God provides for us. He will meet our needs according, uh, he'll meet our, whatever we need according to our needs. God knows our needs. And he knows how to meet those needs. So, you, so Jesus says at one point, so stop worrying about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. Um, that's what the pagan, that's what unbelievers do. They worry about stuff like that. If you, if you want to worry, says Jesus, he says, he says in, in uh, Matthew 6, then worry about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what you should worry about. He wants you to worry about the kingdom, and he'll take care of the rest. In other words, if we take care of God's kingdom business, he'll take care of our earthly business. That's how it works. We take care of his business, and then he takes care of our business. And you all have stories about this. I have stories about this. I met a guy, I had breakfast with a, with a friend of mine recently. He's, he's a support-raising missionary like myself. And, and he told me that, that he, has to, he goes around the world training national workers. And, and God said to him, by the way, uh, you, you're going to have to pay for those, those training times. You have to pay for your travel. And you have to pay for everything else. And, and, and he said, but I don't want you to worry about it. Just trust me don't, and don't say a word to anybody. And I said, I said to him, how's it going? He said, I'm, I'm fully supplied. I, I need nothing, you know? And he, he said, I've never told anybody about my needs, and, and I'm fully supplied. Is God amazing? And, and I know you have stories like that too, don't you? God, God I, Magi just show up with, with uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, three really expensive gifts, and the Holy Family is taken care of, remarkably. But clearly the kingdom... Trusting God in his kingdom, it's, it's no small thing. Um, it's impossible in our own strength. We need the power of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, trusting him, walking with him. 
you know, um, he's taken up residence in our lives, right? As we, upon faith in our life, the Holy Spirit comes and lives with us. But that doesn't solve all of our problems, of course. Every, every believer has the Holy Spirit, but few believers have allowed the Spirit to have them in their lives. Jesus is our King, but we have not been the most loyal of subjects, which is a shame because He wants to rule and reign in our hearts. The kingdom of God that Yeshua, that Jesus came to inaugurate in His first advent is the kingdom that He is going to share with us. Did you know that? That we, that we are partakers and sharers in this kingdom. In Scripture, we are told that we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus the Messiah, that we are going to rule and reign with Him, that we're not only going to be judging the world, we're going to be judging angelic beings, says Paul. So what's our problem? We are still holding on to the old order of things. We're still thinking like we're, we're people of this world when we are people of the new kingdom that came at Christmas. We're still trying to live our lives subject to the worldly way of thought and the worldly kingdoms around us. But we have, to, we have to make a decision. Jesus said you can't love God and love money at the same time. You're gonna, one's got to be the boss, one's got to be the servant. They can't both be the boss. The Bible says, choose this day whom you will serve. Jesus came at Christmas to invade the kingdom of this world and to take it one heart at a time, and he calls us to this, this surrender of ourselves to kingdom purpose each and every day, embracing all that he has for us, his kingdom ethics, his kingdom morality, his, king, his holiness, his righteousness, his peace. It means changing our minds about, about the current world that we live in, to give up our selfish ambition and our vain conceits, to embrace God's kingdom agenda for our lives and to trust Him for our well-being as we do so. But He doesn't force us to do this. He uses gospel persuasion, doesn't He? It's wonderful. He's so gentle with us, so sweet with us. Jesus said to His own, his own disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for you, your father has been pleased to give you what? Your father has been pleased to give you what? A, a kingdom. He's been pleased to give you a kingdom. Did you know that? Jesus says that you've received a kingdom. You don't have to worry about all the stuff in this world. We have a kingdom that has been given to us. We spend a lot of time and energy worrying about the things of this world. But what are they in comparison to the gift of the kingdom, the gift that Jesus plans to share with every one of us? He's sharing it now, but he'll share it all, all one day in the, in the consummation of it all. It's a ridiculous comparison, isn't it? A few short years down here of, of struggle and difficulty and sickness and then death, and then versus an eternal existence of joy and peace and love and provision and purpose, the likes of which we can't even imagine right now. A world which Paul says, eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and mind has not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's you guys. That's me. No wonder Jesus has the boldness to tell us to sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven that will never be exhausted. Folks, those gifts of the Magi were God's way of assuring 
Joseph and Mary, that, they would, that he would provide for them and provide for their, as they provided for their son. How has God assured you in your life? How has God assured you that, that he is there for you? That he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he'll always be with you, even to the end of the age. He'll provide for you every step of the way. I trust to this moment in your life, God has been faithful. The only question left is, will we? This new year, let's be like the Magi, seeking him and his kingdom with all of our hearts and giving the very best we have for him, for his kingdom purposes, without fearing loss. As they say on TV, you'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, easier said than done. Challenging to our souls, Lord, to, uh, to, to trust you. Let us remember the story of the Magi. Let us remember the story of, of your leading and your guiding in their life, of, of, of your taking them and providing them and, and guiding them every step of the way, Lord. And let us remember how you used them to provide for the Holy Family, Lord, so that they could survive in Egypt, Lord, Father, and that they need not fear anything. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us. To this very moment, we have found you so faithful. We want to return the favor and be faithful to you. Grant us grace this new year, Lord, Father, if we're going to make a resolution, that our resolution that we be faithful to the, to the calling of your kingdom, Father, for the cause of, of your gospel in this world. To that end, we ask and pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.